SAFM Sports Wrap. Good evening to you. Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap. Coming up on tonight's show, we'll head to Paris, where rain has once again intervened at the French Open. Chris Bowers will join us to let us know what the latest is, but uh, there has been some play and uh, some of the big names are out. We'll find out more before 7 o'clock this evening. We'll also be joined by former Springbok winger and World Cup winner Chester Williams as we discuss and analyse Anastasia Couture's first Springbok squad. And we'll also chat to Comrades Marathon. That was on Sunday. We'll chat to one of the runners who was on the road between Maritzburg and Durban tonight. We start with news uh, coming through on the wires. Despite confirmations from the Mpumalanga Black Aces boss yesterday at the club has been sold to former Ajax Cape Town chairman John Komitas. Players at the club are still in the dark about what tomorrow holds. The Morfu brothers finally confirmed yesterday that they were made an offer they couldn't refuse by Komitas and uh, gave in. Aces were close to being sold to Amazulu at uh, the end of, or at the beginning of this season, but the move wasn't approved by the PSL. Speaking after winning the APSO Premiership Young Player of the Year Award, utility player Aubrey Mordiba says he's learned about the sale on social media. Uh, actually, when I went to the social media this morning, I saw that the team has been sold, but nothing has been said to us. They just told us that they will tell us everything. Nothing has been told. Uh, so I can't comment much on that. I'll see uh, when the, t- the time goes by and whether we're going to Cape Town or the team is staying here. So yeah, I'll, I don't have much information on that. The youngster who announced himself in a big way this season says even though he's playing good football, the change of ownership is disconcerting. Uh, you know, football, football uh, uh, is something else. Uh, one day you're here, one day you're there. So I can't just say if I got this award, I'll be able to, to, to secure myself. But yeah, with uh, every, every game, uh, the games that I played, I think uh, the new owner will look into that and obviously say I need this boy for my, for, for my team. Internationally, Costa Rican goalkeeper Kilo Navas will miss the Copa America due to chronic tendonitis in his left foot. Navas, who played for Real Madrid uh, in their win over Atletico Madrid in the Champions League final this past weekend, has been trying to shake off the injury for about a year now. He also missed last year's CONCACAF Gold Cup, although he has been a regular in the Real Madrid 11 this season. Marco Rus was left out of Germany's final Euro 2016 squad over injury concerns, according to the coach Joachim Lowe, the Borussia Dortmund winger, who uh, was also ruled out of the 2014 World Cup after sustaining an injury in the final warm-up game would struggle to get through a one-month tournament due to a long-standing fitness problem. Meanwhile, Marcus Rashford and Daniel Sturridge have been included in England's 23-man squad. Danny Drinkwater and Andros Townsend miss out. We'll have that tennis news for you in just a moment. On to rugby now. Peter Steff, the toys run of bad luck with the box continues. The lock's been withdrawn from the squad after a scan revealed that he suffered a grade 2 hamstring tear during the Storm of Super Rugby clash against the Cheetahs this past weekend. Lions lock Franco Mostert's been called up as his replacement. Good news on the Sevens front. Current player of the year, Vadna Kok, has returned from injury. He's included in the SA Academy side for next weekend's Roma Sevens tournament. Makai Tini's taken over as Zimbabwe's coach in acting capacity, while Lance Clusen has been named as their new batting coach. Staying with cricket, the Proteas continue to ready themselves for the upcoming triangular series against the West Indies in Australia. Hashim is confident the team is right on track. It's been a while since they played the 50-over game, with most of the squad having played only T20s for the last few months. Amla believes the transition to the 50-over format will be seamless. I don't think it's that big. Uh... You know, you just have a lot more time to to set the game up and you've got to kind of remind yourself all the time uh, that there's a lot of time still left in the game. Um, 
So I think it's a lot easier to, to go from uh, T20s to, to one day than from a test match and that type of thing. So, yeah, hopefully it won't be a big issue for most of the guys. The Proteas get their tournament underway against the hosts on Friday. And finally, the VKB Knights have made four significant additions to their squad for the 2016-2017 season. Robin Peterson, Marshant Delanga and David Miller, as well as Tienis Debrain, joins the Central franchise. Coming up next here on SAFM Sports Wrap, we'll chat to Chester Williams. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to South Africa's news and information lead. I'm Brad Brown. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. And it was uh, an interesting weekend as far as uh, Springbok rugby goes. The brand new incoming coach, Alistair Gutierrez, making his first uh, squad selection. 31-man squad was announced for the incoming series against uh, Ireland, a three-match test series on the horizon. Uh, some names that uh, I think uh, surprised a few people, some names that were well expected. We join now by former Springbok winger Chester Williams uh, to discuss some of those names. Chester, welcome on to SAFM Sports Chat. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you, thank you, Brad. Yeah, as you just said, you know, it's a quite interesting squad that Alistair has selected. <laughs> Chester, do you think it's a, uh, first up, do you think it's a well-balanced squad? That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, I think it's a well-balanced squad, experience, youth, and of course, players that have been on form for the Super Rugby. And that makes it uh, actually very, very much of a, a, a justifiable um, uh, squad. Yeah, you, you talk about informed players. I think that's one of the criticisms that, that Heine Kamea was, uh, came under during his tenure as Springbok coach is he obviously had favourites who he believed in, and rightly so. He's staking his job on the line, uh, backing players he believes in. But uh, there, there were players that were often overlooked that were informed, and it seems like Alistair Katsia is definitely looking. And, and I think of the likes of, of Faf de Klerk and Elton Yankees, even though Yankees is injured at the moment. I mean, that is probably the informed sort of halfback pairing in the competition at the moment as far as Africa is concerned. Well, I think if they look at the whole squad, I mean, uh, all of them are informed. If you look at last year's performance and this year's performances, all of them are, are formed players. And, you know, we as Africans, uh, we have so many players that, that actually can fit in any in in role in, in the stream of team. So it's, it's probably the right way to do it is to let the formed players and, and ensure that we can not only uh, be competitive, but we must start winning and, and, and be con- consistent in our wins. Looking at uh, just some of the, the, the other selections, when, when the, the squad was first announced, I was quite surprised. He only named three locks. News today is uh, one of those locks pulled up injured past this, uh, this past weekend. So uh, that's uh, Peter Steph de Toy, who's now out. Franco Mostert, who was probably a, a surprise omission, is being called into the squad. Are you surprised he's only called up three locks? I mean, I'm very surprised, especially with the, with the squad of 31. But then also on the other side, I thought if he, uh, maybe he was uh, very happy with the three locks he's got and also that uh, maybe one of the flankers can play the lock. But unfortunately, you obviously, um, lucky for us, we play anywhere at home. So it's, it's a home series. Uh, it's probably the right way to do it for, for, for three, three, three locks and give um, uh, most of maybe a chance in the A side before he can um, get to the, a, the spin of team. Just looking at a uh, youngster who, who, who did pretty well for the Sharks with Pat Lambie being injured, was Garth April. I mean, he looked pretty solid at, at fly-off, and uh, it, it's been a bit of a crazy rise to, <laughs> to, to this sort of level for him. I mean, this time last year he was playing club rugby. He wasn't contracted to any of the unions. Do you think it might be a bit too soon to be throwing him into this sort of setup, or is, is he primed for it? Do you think it's a, a good move from Alistair? Well, they have shown that he's got talent, he's got the potential, and, and giving him this opportunity, this, you know, giving that confidence to even be better. So you can never say whether it's just too soon or too late. You know, some players, players probably never played even uh, provincial rugby and then went straight from club rugby to, to stream-offs. 
So the opportunity is there, and that is this what, uh, what uh, April must do now is to make use of the opportunity whenever, whenever he gets it. Lots of players unavailable for selection for, for various reasons. Injury, uh, I mean, sevens commitments. South African rugby is in pretty good shape at the moment. If you think about some of the names that, that weren't included in that in that squad, Marcel could see it, JC Janser von Rensburg, uh, Skolt Berg. I mean, there's Quibus Reinach. The, the list goes on and on of, of players that aren't in that squad but are on the fringes and have played in that setup before. I think our, our rugby is quite healthy now, especially with players and form and players that want to play for the, for the jersey. Um, so we are we are in a very good position right now with South African rugby, and and hopefully you know that we can put it we can put it together on the field, and then ensure that we can be not only competitive against the All Blacks but the winning. Yeah, could could not uh, agree more. Interesting too that uh, at the same time you you mentioned the SAA squads, uh, they are also going to be in action. That's good signs, and, and I'm pretty chuffed to see Johan Ackerman, who's who's had great success with the Lions over the last few seasons, been roped in there. It's uh, I mean that's also a very good sign for SA rugby. Well, it's also good to see that you know that coaches get selected because they're also on form. So and uh, and that's exactly what happened with our head coach Alistair. He's been in great form the last ten years. And then Ellen and Jan Ackerman proven that he also has been informed coaching-wise, and he's getting the opportunity to coach the SAA side, and it's great to see that the SAA side is back again, because that is actually a, CDC, a great feeder system for the stream of team. Chester, as far as the captaincy goes, it wasn't announced on the weekend. Alistair said he wanted to have a look at uh, the squad dynamics before he did make that announcement, but it was announced today that Adrian Strauss is going to be uh, wearing the captain's armband. Your, your thoughts on, on Strauss as the captain? Well, uh, it's probably that uh, I'm not sure if Dwayne Permalin is available for the for, the, for this series, but um, of course, you know, Eden Sarge has been a vice captain and the leader of the team in the past, past uh, of last and the year before, and so uh, he's also been the captain for one or two games. Then, but um, for, he's been he's now been appointed as the as the series captain, which I think he's got a lot of respect from players and coaches, and and he's probably the right person to be selected in that position. Chester, do you think we're going to see a change in the, the brand of rugby that this Springbok team will play going forward? And, and the reason I ask it, if we talk about informed players and, and you look at the likes of Fafta Kladk and Alton Yankees, who, who have, if they, they're playing superb rugby, but it's, it's very different. It's more in the, the sort of almost New Zealand mould as compared to the, the traditional South African rugby mould. And, and my concern is if they, they try and push particularly those two players into that South African mould to play that sort of game where they're comfortable playing that Kiwi sort of looking rugby, that it might change the di- dynamics slightly. Do you think we're going to see a shift in, in mindset and, and game plan from Alistair Katsia and this team? I think it will be, there will be a shift in the game plan and the mindset of the players, especially the profile of players he selected, you know, because those players obviously will play uh, to, uh, to, to an extent in the structure, but then um, they will also have the freedom to play um, what they see in front of them, and 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 then that's exactly what the as a coach wanted to do. Is, you know, they must be structured, but also they must have the freedom to play and then to cure that they can they can create opportunities for the uh, for themselves or the or, or for them or, or the players around them. And and uh, and I do believe that, that that is what Ellis is going to do. And also with a strong defensive uh, mindset as well, where preventing opposition from scoring tries. And that's exactly what New Zealand is. And when you get a turnover, you can make use of that turnover and then create uh, and, uh, or score and try something. Without a doubt. And then finally, Chester, there's always one or two players that can, can almost feel a little bit uh, unlucky that they weren't included in, in, a, in a squad like this. Do you, do you think there are any players that come to mind for you that you think could have possibly been included that, that you think should have? 
Well, um, I was, I thought that Olongo was, um, was, but, um, um, should be unlucky in that sense, but uh, apparently he's probably, I think he's um, Nigerian, so he hasn't had his clear, clear, clearance uh, yet for being a South African citizen. But uh, I think that's, uh, if you look at the squad, I think it's been selected on form and, and the best players have been selected for, for this series. Have we got what it takes to beat Ireland? Yes, of course. I think, you know, South Africa, we got strong forwards, we got the skillful backs. And we can have the balance of being direct, direct and, and, um, and expensive game. So I don't have no doubt that this team can, can beat the Irish team uh, in the series. Tester Williams, as always, great to catch up. Thanks for your time and insights here on SAFM. We look forward to doing it again. Thank you so much and uh, have a good evening. SAFM Sports Wrap. This is South Africa's news and information leader this past weekend saw one of the most memorable comrades marathons being run between Peter Maritzburg and Durban. The 91st running of the iconic race, 89 kilometers, and there was drama galore from the front right to the back of the pack. And one of the gentlemen uh, that did run this year was the portfolio sales manager right here at SAFM for ourselves and at here, uh, our sister station. Camillus Free, Camillus, welcome on to. SAFM Sports Trap this evening. Thanks for chatting to us. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Camillus, uh, I know the guys on the weekend on SAFM Sports Trap, uh, Sports Special, rather, were tracking you throughout uh, the race. Yeah. And uh, for you, it was a case of so close but yet so far. I was standing uh, watching that drama unfold in the final hours, the thousands and thousands of runners streamed through before the final cutoff. And unluckily for you, you were on the grass when that gun went and you did not get an official finish time. It must have been heartbreaking. I think it's it's more like a dagger or a sword of Game of Thrones in my heart, you know. <laughs> One of the guys dying in Game of Thrones it was, it was quite hectic because uh, when I got into the stadium, it was like about a, about a minute to go. And I thought I'd made it. And, you know, as you know, the, the Kings Park Stadium, you, you run around like in the grass patches. I got past the first scaffolding, the second scaffolding. I thought I was like in. And only to find I had like another 200 meters to go. And that was like 10 seconds when I when I looked at the finishing line. The gun just went off and it felt like all my hard work and all my efforts just went down the drain. That's what it felt like, yeah. Camillus, tell me about the day. I mean, it is a long day. Starts at half past five yeah. outside the, the town hall in, in mm-hmm. Peter Maritzburg. Final cut to 5.30 at Kingsmead. How did your day go? I mean, you're obviously feeling confident throughout the day. You have to pace yourself. That's one of the keys. So yeah. Tell me where you think it may have gone wrong on the day. Um... Look, I didn't have a good season. You know, a lot of things happened uh, with me, like, uh, leading up to the race. I mean, my mom passed away. So it was quite hectic for me to qualify. So I, I managed to qualify, but I was a G seeding. And uh, when the race started, uh, I was about seven and a half minutes behind already because when the, when the government offered us to start, I only crossed the, the starting line at seven minutes already into the race. Um, but I thought to myself, look, I can, I can finish this race uh, comfortably because I felt good. I lost a lot of weight. I worked hard. And uh, I think 30 k's into the race, I just started feeling my my inner thigh muscle just started giving me some muscles. It started cramping up for, for for some reason. It was like the first time ever that I actually didn't know what to do because I never experienced that um, in a while. Camilla, the race is it's it's an incredibly long day, but it's incredibly humbling, humbling. And and interestingly enough, I mean that was the slogan of of this year's race. It's <laughs> it's it's one of those events that. It's it's incredibly tough for for someone who's never done it, but yeah. it, it it pulls you in and, and and really sucks you in to keep coming back. Yeah. I know it's probably too soon to ask this question. Are, are you going back in 2017? I know it's too soon to answer, but I'm yes, I am going back. <laughs> <laughs> I have to redeem myself, you know. Um, 
I've done uh, six already. Um, I've had uh, two when I finished. I got my back-to-back. Um, and this is the second time that I've actually finished outside the 12-hour mark. And I think, uh, you know, there's, there's no way to explain uh, a, a finish when you when you actually done it in time. Mm. And I think the same goes with when you, you see the, the end. It's so close, but yet so far. And it's just it's devastating. You know, people were cheering and they were excited and they were trying to give me some well wishes and telling me that it was, it was a tough race and it was a tough day. Um, but it's not that same feeling, you know. The feeling of you crossing that line is just something else, you know. You've worked hard for the whole day. Because a lot of guys, when you ask a lot of guys, they would tell you they had cramps, they were vomiting, they were, they were doing some, some, some funny stuff. But they managed to pull through. And that was, that was the, the testimony that I wanted to give. Mm. Was It was a tough day, I had cramps. Because quite a few of my friends, um, apparently, they also had cramps and they stopped at 30 k's. Some of them stopped at halfway. And I felt pretty good going, going to all the cutoffs. I think my last cutoff was the problem because the last cutoff I had about 50 odd minutes. But the thing that I forgot to tell you was from 80, 81 k's, because 82 k's was a cutoff. So at 81 k's, I had basically 10 minutes to get to the, to the next cutoff. So I basically pulled a five minute out of the hat. Mm. And that just totally exhausted me. And uh, I thought I tried to maintain and maintain. Um, I think at, the, at, at like one kilometer to go, I had about like eight or nine minutes left. But I just couldn't push myself uh, any further. I, I tried to maintain it. I was actually quite surprised that I had one minute left when I got into the stadium. Uh, I tried to make a run for it. I sprinted, actually. I couldn't understand why <laughs> I got the energy to sprint, <laughs> only to find that I was 200 meters short of the finishing line. And I think um, there's a lot of people probably that has gone through this um, emotional roller coaster because that's what it is. You know, you, 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 you sort of feel for somebody that can't make it because you see somebody at 42K mark and they can't get to the halfway and, and somebody's crying on the side of the road or somebody's falling without anybody pushing them. There's a lot of things that happens, uh, you know, as, you, as you're actually running the race. But I think the biggest thing is whatever you've gone through and you've made it, it's all worth it, you know. So I think uh, for me, as, as, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's really humbled me this race. Um, because I, I, I felt that I, I could do it, but at the same time, it, it was very significant as well for me. And I mean, friends and family watched. Um, and I think next year, uh, definitely, I'm going to go for survey. Brad, what do you think? <laughs> Camillus, <laughs> what makes Comrade special? I mean, for, for someone who, who sat possibly and watched the television pictures on, on Sunday, it's, it's brutal. It looks like a battlefield in the last hour, and you, you see the amount of pain that uh, gets inflicted on a race like that. Yeah. You, you look at what Caroline Wasman went through mm. to, to, to finish in second. What's the appeal? I think the appeal is the fact that you are able to do something that not a lot of people are, are capable of doing, because... When you finish a race, you know, you get a lot of well wishes saying that, you know, they can't run 90Ks, you know. Uh, give them a car, they'll drive 90Ks. But running 90Ks, that's just out of the question. But the, the, the whole excitement, you know, the build-up, you know. Um, one of my friends said that he, 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 you'll sing the national anthem and it feels exciting. You'll sing social laws and it feels exciting. But the minute Chariots of Fire comes on, you know it's getting real. And I think that's the thing. He says you don't get nervous with other things. But when Chariots of Fire starts, everybody knows that it's happening. And, and the fact that you are able to do something that you've trained for, that you've worked for. And a lot of people will probably tell you that they're not going to come back, you know. But uh, you always find yourself just at that starting line. And you're telling yourself that this is my year. I'm going to do it. I've trained a bit harder. I've learned. You know, I got a lot of advice from a lot of guys mm-hmm. at the end saying to me, look, you've, you've done it. You've, you've done what you could. Um, unfortunately, things happened the way it did. But, but come and redeem yourself and do something better. And I think that's the reason why people come back all the time. Because it's that feeling of... It's a, a feeling of being surreal. It's a real feeling because mm. you, you, you've run something 
that you, I mean, like uh, to qualify for 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 comrades, you need to do a 42k or like a 50k ultra uh, a marathon. I mean, that's not even half. Uh, you you still got to do another 39 or another 42k's if you've done the 42, or another uh, 39k's if you've done the 50k. Mm. So there's still a lot for you to do uh, to sort of achieve those type of things. So I think the fact that the, the, the sense of, of of just achieving something. I mean, the first time when I finished my first comrades. It was just, it was the most awesome feeling ever, you know. And when I did my back-to-back, it was it was even better, you know. So I think you, you're coming back every year for the challenge. Yeah. Because no year is the same. No, exactly. The it's difficult to describe that feeling to someone who's never done it. But Camillus, Fari, thank you so much for your time tonight. Commiserations once again of getting so close but yet so fine. I know you will be back in 2017. Stronger and fitter. Thanks for, for sharing your journey with us. And uh, I'm going to make a commitment here. I've missed the last three. 2017, I'll be on the uprun with you. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. Well, as the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio approach, we're going to be chatting lots about them. I'm a huge fan of the Olympics. And every single day this week, we're going to be spotlighting uh, one of the athletes and a pretty cool story. And here's the first one for this week. Two years before the Olympic Games of 1984, Jeffrey Blatnick was one of the most unlikely candidates to win a medal. Firstly, no American had ever won a gold medal in any weight division of the Greco-Roman wrestling at the Olympic Games. Secondly, Jeff was not the best wrestler in his weight division in America anymore. And when he was, he was not allowed to go to Moscow in 1980 due to the American boycott of the Games. Thirdly, Blatnik was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, a form of cancer, in July 1982. And two months later, his spleen as well as his appendix had to be removed. In October 1982, he started with chemotherapy, and despite stern warnings from his doctor, he started training again. Come the 1984 American Olympic trials, Jeff won the super heavyweight division and was chosen to represent the USA at the Los Angeles Olympic Games. In the first round of the Greco-Roman wrestling competition, he caused an upset which he beat the favorite to win the gold medal, Refik Mimicevic from the Yugoslavia. Blatnik reached the final to meet the immensely strong Thomas Johansson from Sweden. With only 64 seconds of the fight left, Blacknick succeeded in scoring the winning point and in doing so won the gold medal. After the fight he fell to his knees for the first time since his brother died seven years earlier. He started crying bitterly in a release of emotion and tension. Unfortunately, not all dramatic stories have happy endings. In September 1985, the cancer returned to claim the life of Jeff Blacknick, while Johansson tested positive for a banned steroid and lost his medal. Well, that was the first part of our Did You Know Olympic series in the build-up to the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. Well, we head back to Paris now, where it's been a pretty frustrating fortnight for tennis fans, and uh, it's the French Open, but lots of rain about... Chris Bowers joins us now. Chris, the last time we spoke at about 25 past 5, you said play had been suspended. Is the rain still coming down, or are there players back on court? Um, no, the first one is correct. Uh, rain is still coming down, no players on court. And it's actually not just frustrating for tennis fans, it's frustrating for tennis players, and I have to say for tennis journalists as well. <laughs> um, play has just been called off for the day, and uh, that means that only two hours is possible, and that leave the tournament badly behind schedule. We haven't had the order of play for tomorrow, but um, um, I don't know whether... I mean, G4, the tournament director, was saying that he didn't want to get men to play uh, two full, specified set matches. Um, 
uh, more than two days running. So that we're into sort of territory of the Monday final now, but uh, that's not for definite. And if you get the players who come through in fairly short matches, he may well go back on that principle. But certainly, um, we, we have eight fourth-round matches, uh, all in the men's, which have not been completed. So um, the, the tournament's badly adrift. I mean, that's incredible, and, and uh, I, I say for, for tennis fans, tongue-in-cheek, but it is extremely frustrating for the players being almost on standby for, for a couple of days now, and, and it, it is just incredible. And, and if you look at uh, some of the matches, uh, Novak Djokovic was on court today when, when play was uh, suspended and then eventually called off. He was a set down. He came back. He was looking good in that third, but uh, he's basically got to start from scratch again when they do get on court tomorrow. Yes, I mean, the forecast tomorrow is better, and he was clearly being ground down by Roberto Bautista Algrich because the heavy conditions favoured all the, the more, you know, wherever there was a difference in power and strength, physical strength between the two players on court, the physical person came out better today because the balls are just so heavy. If you think of what clay is, it's, you know, these crushed roof tiles, uh, crushed to a powder. Um, then you have some rain coming down on them. The balls pick them up. I was commentating on one stage, and I could barely see the ball because it was becoming almost the same color as the, the red clay. Um, it's interesting the comments of Agnieszka Radbanska. She lost her um, fourth-round women's match. She went out against Svetlana Peronkova, leading 6-2-3 love. She lost the first 10 games and then uh, lost, um, you know, she got all this run three. She lost 6-3 in the third set. And she was saying, after, you know, what is it? The Grand Slam tournament. They want to be putting it out in those kind of conditions. So, you know, you, although they had two hours of play today and you were clearly desperate to get players on the court, um, you've got some people who were saying it made the whole thing a lottery and rather devalued um, what should be one of the greatest tournaments in tennis. But then do you devalue it more by not trying to get matches played and possibly having uh, one of the best matches of the tennis year on Monday on a weekday as opposed to Sunday when it's due? Yeah, who'd want to be a tournament referee? But let's talk about that ladies' draw for a moment. You mentioned uh, Agnieszka Radvanska. She's out the second seed. There was another uh, upset in the ladies' draw today as well, well with Simona Halep losing. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of an upset that was. I mean, these are two former finalists. Simona Halep, yes. She's gradually getting back to the form that uh, took her to the final here, very close to winning the title two years ago. She's working with Darren Cahill, the experienced Australian coach who worked with Leighton Hewitt and with Andre Agassi and one or two other players as well. And she's gradually getting her way back. It was interesting, on Saturday, on Sunday night, she got herself the 5-3 first set. That's when they picked up today. But Stoser is such a strong player. Um, she's probably got the best clay court game of any woman on tour. And she's only been rather let down by her match temperament, which is not good. She does get very tight in the big situations. But this is, these are circumstances made for Stoser. And she managed to win this in straight sets. And uh, when, I, when I look at all the matches that were played in these incredibly heavy conditions, that isn't as much of a shock result as it looks on paper. Mm. Serena Williams still to play as well. Obviously not going to happen today, but uh, herself and her sister Venus are still in the draw. So is Madison Keys. There's still a lot of tennis to be played in the ladies' draw. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in, a, in a way, I don't think they have a problem with the, the women. Uh, the problem's going to be the men, because you could ask the women to play every day from now until, uh, well, their final at due on Saturday. Um, the problem is how much do you ask the men to play back-to-back best-of-five-set matches? Now, you know, this is why I made my point. If you get a couple of players who get through uh, by winning in two, two and a half hours, uh, then you can ask them to play next day. But if one of them has to go four hours in four or five sets, then, um, I mean, potentially you get into the realms of health hazards. So I, I just think that um, while it's not 
certain yet. The chances of a Monday finish are now that much higher, given that we've got no matches finished today and no men's matches finished today. Uh, sorry, we've got no men's matches finished today and no matches at all finished yesterday. Incredible indeed. Chris Bounce, thank you so much for your time this evening here on SAFM Sport Chat. Much appreciated. Uh, we'll have more for you tomorrow morning on SAFM and throughout the afternoon tomorrow. Just looking at that men's draw as well. David Freire, Thomas Burditch uh, were on court when play was suspended as well. Uh, it was 2-1 to David Ferret. David Goffer uh, was also on court. He's love three down uh, as it stands right now. So tons of tennis still to be played. Let's hope uh, play does get underway tomorrow does seem that the weather forecast is slightly better than it has been for the last couple of days. It would be a shame to see the final take place on a Monday. Uh, it's the last thing we want, but I know the players have been complaining uh, about the conditions and particularly Novak Djokovic has had a lot to say from a safety perspective. Uh, obviously, with the sliding around on the clay and uh, it turning into mud, it does make playing very, very difficult. And uh, as Chris was saying, the ball gets heavy and it just changes the dynamics of tennis uh, totally. So, interesting to see what happens at uh, the French Open I wouldn't want to be uh, that uh, tournament director I can tell you that much uh, it's a job you can have almost like uh, the Springbok rugby coaching job I guess but we'll see how Alistair could see it does that's it for SAFM Sports Wrap this evening much appreciate you listening we look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow evening here on South Africa's news and information leader